0: Hello again, friend. Glad you've come back to join me. Today we're going to keep pondering and thinking about and sort of dissecting joy because that's what I started on last time. So if you missed last week's episode, you probably want to go back and listen to that where we talked about just the definition of joy and the joy um, that Jesus gives us, that he said that my joy will remain in you. My joy, Jesus's joy, is meant to be ours. But, you know, we don't always feel joyful. Um, We don't, and it can sometimes be hard to choose joy or certainly to have joy that is full and complete, like Jesus said. So I want to keep unpacking that today. And as we start thinking about that, the part that I want to look at today is how we find joy in in rest, joy in rest, or joy in abiding might be another way that you have heard that. But we'll get to the definition of abide in a minute. First, of course, I have to tell you a story about resting, which makes me think of funny places that I have fallen asleep. Have you ever fallen asleep in a funny place? One of the places I have fallen asleep that is rather funny is at the kitchen table. So in some of the years that we were homeschooling, Wesley and Sophie worked at Coldstone Creamery. Do you guys have Coldstone Creamery where you live? We actually it closed here sadly, but um, we used to have one ice cream store. And the thing is at Coldstone Creameries when their cakes, uh, their ice cream cakes become expired, they can't sell them anymore. But like seriously, does ice cream ever expire? So they would bring these expired cakes home and we could eat them. So I got in the very bad habit of having a piece of ice cream cake after lunch uh, sometimes. and so I but then I had to stop doing it because I found that when I had a piece of ice cream cake with lunch, I would then after lunch, what we usually did was I would read history books aloud to the kids or their whatever we were doing for history. And so I was literally reading in the process of reading a book at the table. And then the next thing I know, my face is on the book and I just faintly hear from far away, mom, mom, and then this pause. And then I think she's asleep and I would be asleep on the book. It's ridiculous. So that is one of the funny places that I I would just have like this sugar crash from the Cold Stone ice cream cake and fall asleep. I also did the same thing when I had Lyme disease, when I was on the medicine for Lyme. Um, it was really rough. Uh, and it would, it would just knock me out. And I remember putting my head down purposely on the table and just saying, Oh, this feels so good. This feels so good because I had been in a lot of pain, um, with Lyme before I got on medicine. And, <laughs> and Jessica in the background is going, mom, or I know I was saying, I'm all better. I'm all better because I was feeling a little better. And putting my head down on the table and hearing Jess in the background saying, Mom, you're not all better. You're asleep on the kitchen table. So, yeah, that happened. But anyway, good times. So today I want to think about what it means to find joy in rest. I was certainly joyful in those moments. Like, I was enjoying being asleep. Um, Probably would have been more comfortable in my bed. But what does it really mean to find joy in rest? this is the pause and ponder podcast with me Susie thanks for joining me as we take a few minutes to pause and ponder the greatness of God together okay so what are we pondering today pondering more about joy and just like I introduced last week I am focusing in on the passage from John 15, verses 1 through 11, uh, culminating in verse 11, which is Jesus talking, saying, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus wants us to have joy. God wants us to live a joyful life um, through our relationship with him. And he says, I have spoken these things to you, So that you may have joy, that you may have my joy, and that your joy may be full. So now we get into, well, what did he say? And the first one I want to focus on, I'm not really going to go in order. The first one I want to focus on is that Jesus tells us to find joy in rest. And I get this from verse 4 of John 15. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. So, abiding, one of my favorite words actually is this word abide. But today I'm looking at it as rest because I came across an interesting little tidbit about this abide um, somewhere in my research. It said abide in the Hebrew actually means to sit. To sit. So, sit with Jesus. And that made me think of be still you know, be still and know that I am God. And that makes me think of rest, this idea of resting and the whole, you know, when you, I, heard, when I said John 15, you probably thought, oh, vine and branches, this is all going to be about the vine and branches. And it is, of course, the passage about Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And this whole idea of being a branch attached to a vine that it's really about not striving and not working, but just being, just being a branch connected to a vine. And, you know, that brings me back to joy. We can't fabricate joy you know all of those placards that say, choose joy. I don't think we can really choose joy. It has to be Jesus's joy in us. So we, we can choose other things that I'm going to talk about that are in this passage, in these 10 verses, we can choose those and then the result Of choosing those is joy. It's kind of like humility. The harder you work for it, the less you're going to have it. So how does rest or abiding result in joy? Let me just ask you this. Do you need someone to give you permission to just rest? Is I'm trying on your lips more than I'm good. I'm in a good place. Or are you exhausted just trying to keep all the balls in the air of your life? Do you ever feel like you're just never good enough? If any of those resonate with you, I think joy in rest might be something worth thinking about. So how does this work? What does it mean, joy in rest? Well, by rest, I mean stop striving, stop fussing, stop fuming. And most of all, as God himself will say in the Bible, stop complaining. Just rest. Just rest in your circumstances, trusting God to guide you through them. And let me just pause here and say, even though we're talking about spiritual things, there's also an aspect to rest that the Lord gives that is physical. Like, you know, if you just feel super exhausted, it's pretty hard to also be exuding joy. And so seriously, sometimes I just need a nap or a snack or, um, some sunshine or a little physical activity and there are physical things we can do like sleeping and eating and <laughs> and a little bit of exercise that can put us in a place to be full of joy to that and these are things that God wants for us even if you have small children God wants you to have rest it might take a little creativity to find it and it might be Take saying no to other things. You, if it's not little kids, I mean, you can't be like, no, I won't have these little kids anymore. But if you are in a different situation, you know, it might take some effort to find a time of rest. But sometimes that really is what is needed physical rest and refreshment. So there's that too. In fact, I am very, uh, I, I'm not shy at all about saying that I am a pro napper, I love napping. Um, no shame whatsoever in taking a good nap. I, I think it's it's good for us. And, you know, I know some people say like, oh, I can't nap. Well, really, I say give it a try. Seriously. Like if you feel like you can't take a nap, give it a try again. It is worth it because you need the rest. You need the physical rest. And if things are happening in your life that you, um, like you're not sleeping at night or uh, whatever it might be, and you just find yourself tired. This idea that we can't take a nap is, I think it's sinful. <laughs> no, I'm kind of kidding, but really, give yourself permission to rest. Give yourself permission to not always be working so hard. But back to the idea of spiritual rest rest in your circumstances, rest in your relationships. It sounds to me kind of like contentment, doesn't it? You know, like Paul talks about being content in all things. Content is not wanting more. Resting in what we have and where we are. And I think contentment is very closely, closely related to joy. It's also a place of rest. So how do we rest? How do we have this contentment in life? this assurance that it's all really going to be okay. I think first, just to pause and ask yourself, are you content? If not, why? Where specifically are you not content? I always like to go back and examine my expectations when I'm frustrated or discontent. Maybe God wants me to change my expectations. Or... Maybe discontent is a sign to change something. Maybe it's a sign to surrender something. It can be kind of like a red flag of like something's wrong and I need to give it attention because it's so easy to sort of just keep going and going and the irritation gets larger and larger and then suddenly you're exploding. (laughs) Can you relate to that? But before we explode, maybe we just feel discontent. We're not feeling the joy it might be a time to be like, hmm, what is wrong here? I need to examine this. Lord, show me what is causing this discontent. And show me what to change. But back to contentment and that being content is being at a place of rest. Rest with where God has me and how God has made me. I really think contentment comes from that. And this whole idea of rest makes me think of Hebrews 3 and 4, which is such a great study on God's rest and his Sabbath and all these things. And I just love that passage. And it talks about specifically who can enter the rest of God and who can't. So let me just read you some of this. Okay, so this is from Hebrews 3, where the author is encouraging believers to learn from the example of Moses and the Israelites in the desert. So that's sort of the, the context is, hey, let's look at what happened to Moses and let's learn from that and not not be like those um, Israelites who refused to enter the promised land because of unbelief. Here's what it says in chapter three. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, referring to the Israelites where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Next verse says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So that's the example of the Israelites. And then it says in chapter 4, I'll start in verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, meaning us today. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And here's the key verse, verse 11, 4-11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So, um, you have to read the whole chapter. I don't want to read too many verses because I know it sort of gets bogged down. But you have to read this whole chapter to get, or two chapters really, to get this idea of um, in Jewish history, when the Israelites did not enter the Promised Land, God said it was because their hearts had been hardened and that we are not to have hard hearts, and that they did not enter God's rest because of hard hearts. And of the several things about hardened hearts, first of all, it comes from unbelief, but one of the characteristics of a hard heart is a lack of joy. And so Hebrews essentially is encouraging us, don't have hard hearts so that you might enter God's rest, a place where you can stop trying to earn and work towards acceptance by God and man. A place where you can stop trying to come up with a way to fix this thing. A place where you can stop worrying about what is going on in the world. And a place where you just rest in God's presence and enjoy being with Jesus. So before you say to yourself, well, my heart isn't hard because, you know, I believe in Jesus. Let's just look at some of the signs of a hardened heart. And let me just say, before I get into these signs of a hardened heart, we know from the scripture that a hardened heart, from Hebrews 3 and 4, a hardened heart comes from unbelief. That's what it says over and over. So not trusting God. It can be, um, you know, not believing in God at all, as in not a Christian, and certainly those hearts are hard. But it can also be from not trusting God in a specific situation. Because like the Israelites, they followed God. They believed he existed. It wasn't about believing in him. It was about not trusting him uh, in the situation of crossing into a scary new place. And so their hearts became hard. But the problem is that hardness grows and grows and grows until it results in being completely indifferent to God and others. And these lists sort of show what that indifference looks like, but it comes from this place of not trusting God. So that's clear in the scripture that a hardened heart is not trusting God. But sometimes we think, well, oh yeah, sure, I trust God. So I think these lists are helpful in kind of um, giving us red flags of, ooh, maybe I have not trusted God in some way. Maybe I have something to work on. So I just wanted to say that before we Look at these lists of what a hardened heart might look like. So check out this list. Here's a list of signs of a hardened heart. Number one, you don't feel like talking to anyone anymore. Just desire to isolate yourself. Scared to be vulnerable. Number two, everyone's advice seems bad. Three, unable to love anyone. Four, resenting the success of others. So those are four kind of brutal descriptions of someone who has a hard heart. And I think this is really worth considering. This is really what I want to pause and ponder today. What does it mean to have a hard heart, and how is that related to my fullness of joy? Because I think the longer we go without examining our hearts, you know, if there's just a little hardness of heart, we become insensitive um, to the Holy Spirit. And then the hardness grows, and that's dangerous. So we want to we want to recognize it when we have any hardness of heart, and deal with it. So here are a few more signs of a hard heart. Number one, you don't really celebrate, and you don't really cry. So you're just kind of like I said last week, feeling blah. Number two, you stop genuinely caring. Like, just, you know, a word for this is indifference. You just feel indifferent about everything. Number three, the things that are supposed to be meaningful in your life feel mechanical. Could be in friendships, it could be in family, it could be in your work. But feelings, you just sort of start going numb. And you don't feel passionate about anything. Number four, this is a big one. You no longer believe the best about other people. It's just being cynical is a way to describe that, but not believing the best about other people, which, of course, believing the best about others is a, a part of love, right? Hopes for the best, um, all those things in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the opposite, just not believing the best in other people. And five, you overprotect a broken heart. You stop trusting, stop loving, stop believing in others. And six, you stop looking for what's good in people and situations because life has just disappointed you so many times. And the last one, seven, you accept a harder heart as your new normal. This is really sad and not joyful at all. Lots of things like people hurting us or... Just slipping away from the Lord or whatever it might be, indifference can, you know, just slip in um, and take over our feelings. And we just sort of protect ourselves or we just sort of find ourselves in this place of indifference to life. So, what to do? What to do if we find ourselves in this place of a hardened heart? Well, first of all, there is something you can do. You don't have to be just stuck in a place of indifference to the world. You don't have to be stuck in the blah. Maybe if you're recognizing it today or whenever it does hit you, you know what? I'm just in this place of holding myself back, of not caring, of not seeing the best in others, and not feeling joyful. The first step is humility. The humility to recognize it and say, Lord, I'm feeling indifferent. I'm feeling hardened to the things that you care about things that you love and I'm not in a good place and then repent of it not strive to get rid of it but just say God will you take it away forgive me for indifference and a hardened heart and then ask to be filled afresh with his spirit it's this simple recognize it repent of it and be filled anew with the joy of the Lord with the Holy Spirit And that's a good way to put it. Surrender and sit. Surrender our own agenda and sit with the Lord and just let him fill us. Thinking of the joy that comes from who he is. When we surrender and sit, the result will be joy. Joy that John Piper described as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit, not us produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. That is true joy, and it can be ours when we rest, when we examine our hardened hearts and offer, repent of them, offer them up to the Lord, and surrender and sit before him. Not asking for anything, not complaining about anything, not wanting anything, just be with him. That is true rest. And that is where we can have a joy that is beyond words. In fact, as 1 Peter 1 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And that is what can be ours if we pause. And take time to sit with the Lord and let him fill us with his joy. Thanks for joining me today, and I pray that God will give you true joy as you rest in him. Till next time.